The world around us is changing faster than ever before. From automation, artificial intelligence, big data, geolocation, to every aspect of how we work and live. This includes data. Welcome Welcome, to Data Gurus Podcast. Our mission is to bring you a real-life perspective on what's happening in the industry and how successful companies and individuals in this niche navigate through the sea of change. Encouraging you to be bold, be be brave, and be fearless, let's navigate the data ecosystem together. Welcome Welcome, welcome. to the Data Gurus Podcast. Today, I have Ben Harden with me. He is a partner at CapTech and actually leads the data and analytics practice. Welcome, Ben. Thank you, Seema. I'm glad to be here. Excited to talk about data and analytics today. It's one of my favorite subjects. That's so cool. We were just talking data is like such a cool thing to be part of these days. It really is. I've, I've been doing this for over 20 years now. And when I started, it was definitely not nearly as cool. I was very excited to see, I think it was Forbes magazine said data science is the sexiest job of the 21st century. So that's it's so like, cool. all of a sudden I'm cool. <laughs> that's fantastic. So tell us, what does CapTech do and what do you do? What's kind of your day-to-day role at CapTech? Sure. So um, CapTech is a national consulting firm here in the U.S. We do my area. I run our data and analytics practice, but we also are a software engineering firm. We do management consulting, so things like agile and project and program management. And then we have a customer experience group as well. So full service uh, consulting firm, and uh, we've got nine offices uh, across the country. So cool. So what does a project look like for you? When a client needs you guys, what does that entail? I love it. So it's, it's a great question. What's really cool about CapTech and, and why I like it so much. So I'm a data guy. I love data. But our projects typically are not just specific to data. We actually bring in all the other services I was just talking about. So we have from a data perspective, we've got data engineers, data scientists, you know, our data visualization team, a data architect looking at the data components. But we also have somebody to come in and help, whether it's uh, an agile project using Scrum, a Scrum master or a project manager in. We have analysts from our analysis team. And then uh, what I think is really cool and it's sort of a shift in the market is this whole idea of customer experience and doing, you know, really exciting designs from a visualization perspective. So we have that team that's coming in and helping us work with customers to understand what's the best way to design a dashboard. And then we can come in and actually do the build around that. So a typical team is drawing from all of those different areas, putting that group together and trying to solve a problem for our clients. And typically, who do you sell into? Is this like a C-level kind of engagement or are you selling into marketing? Who's the target audience for your client within your client organization? Yeah, it's, so it's a good question. When I, you know, 10 years ago, we were really spending a lot of time in the IT department with the CIOs and their organizations. And what we've seen happen and evolve over time is the money is really shifting to the business. So we're spending a lot more time working with the business customers. They're actually the buyers in many cases. That doesn't mean that we're not working with IT. We've been brought in by the business, but we still need to go and spend a lot of time with IT to leverage whatever platforms might be available to us and work through that. So you're, you're a bridge, essentially, in many organizations between the business side and the tech side to be able to deliver the solution. 
Absolutely. And I think data in general is a bridge because the business understands, you know, how they want to run their business, right? That's what they do. They understand what data they think they need to make that successful. But oftentimes they don't know how to, you know, how do I pull all these things together? How do I build a report? How do I get access to the information that I want to, to make my business go? And so that's where we come in to be able to help them figure that out, whether it's through how do I visualize my data or how do I actually get the data all the way through the IT side of things of, okay, what's the actual engine? engineering that needs to happen to enable the things that we're talking about. And, you know, there's so many buzzwords every, every year, and maybe every two years, there's buzzwords that come in and out of our industry. And, you know, most recently, it's machine learning and artificial intelligence. Why are companies so interested in not only the terms, but the capabilities it provides? Yeah, so lots of buzzwords, <laughs> for sure. Um, I think machine learning and AI are really interesting. Uh, for a lot of different reasons, but what, what it boils down to is it's all about the customer experience and trying to be more personal in how we deal with the customer. And so we can do that by leveraging all the data. So if you think about the internet of things, we have more data than we know what to do with, Right. Um, but we can leverage that data to learn more about our customers, be predictive about what we think is going to be interesting to a, a given customer and then use the machine to train the machine and hone that in so that, you know, if we're amazon.com, we're showing you something you might be interested in buying and that sort of thing. Let me pause for a moment because I think we use machine learning and AI sometimes synonymously and sometimes uh, very differently. And I'm, I'd be, it'd be helpful just to get your perspective on the definition of those two terms. Yeah. So I love, I love that question because we had the same thing five years ago, BI, business intelligence. Yes. Everyone had a different definition for it. I feel like with machine learning and AI, and I'll throw in another one, data science, mm -hmm. um, these things all kind of go together. Machine learning is using data to train a machine to do a task and then right. iterating on that and learning additional with additional data, being able to teach the machine to come up with a better outcome. So that's the training aspect. We have a, a set of data that we use to train. We have a set of data that we use to test and see if we've trained the uh, machine appropriately. Artificial intelligence is using those outputs to make a decision. Um, okay. So that's my, that's my definition. Sure. If you ask 10 people, you'd get 10, 10 different definitions, uh, yeah. which, which is why, what makes it exciting. So actually one of the things that I do with clients is ask the same question you just asked. So tell me, you know, your definition of machine learning <laughs> and AI and, and oftentimes, then I can translate that into what I think my definition is right. and we can go from there on a common ground. Uh, yeah. So it's a lot of fun. That is fun. I often wonder once we teach the machine to predict the future or kind of evolve in learning, how do we know it's right? You know what I mean? Like the machine gets smarter than us at, at some point. Is, is that true? <laughs> well, maybe, maybe one day, but yeah. uh, I think we're, we're pretty far away from that. The machine can only do what we ask it to do. Okay. So I think there's a lot of, you know, Elon Musk says that machines are going to take over the world and he's phenomenal, incredibly brilliant person, sure. but I have to disagree with them on that. And, and maybe it will happen at some point. But when we ask a machine to, for instance, recommend a product on Amazon, it is only as good as the algorithms that we set up and okay. the that we feed it. Um, so if you're like me and you have a little kid and are buying children's books, and then you're also buying, you know, adult things that I like, yes. <laughs> um, you get some weird recommendations. Like you may be interested in diapers, <laughs> right? And, yeah. Uh, okay. Um, so the machine is going to learn from those data sets and try to make a better recommendation. But one of the important things to understand is that this is probabilistic. So mm -hmm. 
it isn't 100% accurate, right? It's going to, based on the data science, the, the statistical models and math behind the scenes, it's going to make a recommendation on what it thinks is best based on the data that we've provided. And so how do you know if it's right? That's where, you know, back to our business first IT question, you really need somebody from the business that can actually interpret that data. And I think that's where we're going to spend more of our time in the future. It's not about the model itself. It's about, did the model produce an output that I believe is where we need to go and how are we going to evolve and iterate on that um, yep. to make things better? That makes perfect sense. So it's developing it, but then checking in and making sure that it's doing what it needs to be doing and adapting accordingly. Absolutely. It's, it, it's iterative, which is, you know, from an agile perspective, mm -hmm. it's really exciting to be able to do these things relatively quickly. So we've got cloud technologies that allow us to, we don't have to go buy hardware and put it in a data center. We can, we can spin something up quickly. Then we can leverage, we can grab our data and put our data in the cloud fairly quickly to iterate using agile techniques to ask a lot of questions and get probably a lot of bad answers, but also get quickly to better answers. Sure. I think adds a lot of value quickly, which is what our clients are looking for. They don't want a two-year project. They want a two-month project. Right. And this probably pretty well into data governance, right? So really helping clients navigate. Well, let me ask you this. What is data governance from your perspective? Yeah. So data governance is really how do we manage our data? Do we understand where our data has come from? Do we understand the metadata around it? So how do we describe our data? So something as simple as an address, right? Mm -hmm. how, do we, how do we describe that as a business? Well, is it our home address? Is it our mailing address? Is it our business address? So there's a lot of different questions that need to be teased out. So we've got to manage our data. We need to understand where it's come from or where, and where it's going. So the data lineage. So if you're a financial services institution, for example, you really care about where did my data come from and where is it going? because regulators are going to ask those questions. Sure. And so being able to manage our metadata, manage our data lineage, measure the quality of our data. So, you know, what does good look like and be able to answer that question and then share that. All of those things make up data governance. And, and at the highest level, it's how we manage our data uh, within our organization. So you, CapTech has an open source data governance model. Explain that to me versus a non-open source data governance model. <laughs> sure. So, so first of all, so open source is just code that, that uh, anyone can put you out can share. there with yep. the world. And so we've had several different client engagements where this idea of data governance is become a lot more interesting now that we have so much more data. The Internet of Things, we've got more data. I think we're creating more data every day than we created in, you know, the last hundred years or something crazy like that. And so it's only useful if you know what you have, right? right? And, you, and you can find it and leverage it to do some of the things we were talking about earlier. And so we've seen many of our clients struggling with that. And we got the opportunity to take one of our solutions that we built for one of our clients and open source that, uh, that code. What this product does, it's called Alfred, which is your data butler. And it's a cool name. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> with, uh, the, the person that came up with it, very into comic books, and she uh, was excited to coin the name based after the Alfred Butler from Batman. All right, cool. So anyway, what it does is it is prevents you, I shouldn't say prevent, that's not the right word. It allows you, puts, it's a gatekeeper so that when you put data into your data lake, you have to go through this tool to be able to ingest and move that data in. And so you go in, you provide some metadata about, about the data set that you want to move in, and then the tool take, handles it from there. It schedules a job, moves the data in, validates the data quality, and also captures all that metadata so that it can be searchable in the future. 
And so you don't have, if that's your only entry point into your data lake, now you can have, you know, use the lake, the clean water in your data right. versus the data swamp uh, of things coming in from all over the place and you don't have a way to manage it. So we built this capability as a ingestion framework and metadata framework to get data into your into your data lake so that you don't end up with the data swamp. And we found, you know, why did we do it? One of the things that we found is I'm sure as you talk to different folks in the industry, you find there is thousands of different technologies in the data space. It's very fragmented. Yes. So there there are tools that do this data governance capability. But what happens is if you don't if you want to go outside of that tools ecosystem, it breaks down. Right. And so we wanted to have something that was flexible. We could work with whatever tool we wanted. As long as you use this free software to ingest data into your data lake, you will be able to find it. It will be searchable and you can use whatever tools you want. That's fantastic. So they're not bound to any tool set. There's really flexibility there. Yeah. And that's, that was the challenge that we were seeing at our clients was, you know, we're locked into, you know, I'm I'm not going to, I won't name any specific vendors, but all, all of the big players, right. Right. They do something like this. But as soon as you say, Hey, I think I I might be interested in using Python to solve that Mm -hmm. problem instead of your tool, then all of the data governance capabilities provided by that tool break down. Got it. What are some of the challenges that you have when you're approaching data governance within organizations? Well, for the last, so for like 15 of my 20 year career, yes. uh, data governance was not of interest to anyone. And every, <laughs> so that was challenge one. Right. Uh, I think now it's become a lot more interesting because we have so much data, you can't wing it. You, you really can't ignore the topic. Cannot ignore it. And so, you know, it used to be I'm ignoring it was problem one. Now, right. now we're not ignoring it anymore. And now it becomes really, it's a change management you know, project along with the technology project to get people understanding why data governance is valuable and to start to contribute it. So there's the idea of crowdsourcing around mm-hmm. data governance. If I'm a user of the data, I know it better than anybody. Mm-hmm. Maybe I can provide a way to share that information back to the user community. And got a lot of people looking at something you're going to get a much better definition that is realistic to that data set than if you didn't. And so being able to find ways to, to generate interest from the community to then ultimately make data more discoverable so that we can get to the cool stuff or in some people's minds, the cool stuff of <laughs> doing the actual uh, data science and data modeling. I actually think data governance is cool too, but I might be in the minority on that. Got it. Well, it seems to me, I think going back to what you said to me, said earlier, that data is really the unifier in many organizations, regardless of what department. And I would imagine that many times organizations have to change their organizational model to a certain degree as a result of participating in these types of projects where you're uniting the data within an organization and the silos are going away and, you know, you kind of reorient yourself. Have you seen that as well? Yeah, it's, we, we have, you know, a wide variety of clients at different levels of maturity um, sure. with respect to how they use data. And, you know, I find that some of them that are less mature are not thinking of data as an asset. They don't realize the value of the data that they have and how right. they're leveraging it. And then on the flip side, you have organizations that are data-driven, using Mm -hmm. data every day to make decisions, uh, figuring out how to collect more data, and and really changing their business model based on the results that they've got from their data. And so so we see clients all along that spectrum. Right. Uh, And when you're more mature, you're typically much more closely aligned with your business. So the business is really owning the data. So we talk about data stewardship and data governance, you know, the platform that the data sits on, IT manages and maintains, but the the actual data itself, the business owns that. The and consumption so, and the usability of it. Mm-hmm. 
And so we, that's what we see in our mature, more mature clients. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's, I think, where, you know, data is going to be the differentiator mm -hmm. moving forward. I think uh, was a Forbes magazine called Data the New Oil. Right. <laughs> right. Yes. I mean, one of those magazines. One of them. Uh, one of the important ones. <laughs> uh, and, and so we need to be thinking of data in that, mm -hmm. uh, in that vein. Otherwise, you know, we could, we could wake up and, you know, you look at the taxi industry and Uber, right? They woke up, they weren't leveraging data and all of a sudden right. Uber came along and boom, completely disrupted everything. How do you think the, and this is a wild card question that I haven't thought about yeah. this myself, so we could talk about this, but how do you think the, the impact of data and technology has, it, it has shaped human relationships? Ooh, that's a good question. Or changed. Like, I would argue that the importance of human connection and relationships is even greater now than it has been in the past, just because we're trained so much to kind of sit behind the computer and look at data and use technology. You know, I could be wrong, but that's my theory. I'd be curious what your perspective is. I mean, it's definitely changed things, yeah. you know, with all of the social media. I think in some ways it's good, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, for example, we met, you know, we went to the beach for a week and we met this really cool family with kids our same age out on the beach and they were from England and I live in Virginia. Yes. And we connected with them on Facebook and we're back and forth. That would have never happened right. prior to social media. So I mean, yeah. those kind of things I think is changed for the good. You know, I don't know. I get nervous about the bad things that can happen. Sure. So there's, there's a lot of value, but then there's a lot of challenges of, mm -hmm. uh, that, that we face, I think, with all of the connectivity. Ultimately, I think we're probably making us all smarter yes. and, and, and at an earlier age. So, yeah. you know, maybe that's good. I don't Who's know. Who's to it's say, a good, right? It's a good question. Yeah. yeah. I'm not sure how it's going to play out. They, they'd say that my children's generation is called the iGen. Right. So how old are your children? I have a seven-year-old and a nine-year-old. Okay. All right. So they're a little younger than mine, but yeah, they grow up completely differently. Yeah. They, they both, you know, this is, they both want to post videos on YouTube Yeah. and I'm like, I'm not sure if I want to do that or not. <laughs> but uh, yeah. So, so yeah, we'll see. I don't know. I don't know yeah. what the answer is. It's a good question though. Cool. So Ben, thank you so much for stopping in. I really enjoyed speaking with you and I'd love to have you back on the show in the future. Yeah, happy to do it. Thanks so much for having me, Seema, and uh, hopefully we'll talk again soon. Sounds good. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Data Guru's podcast. This episode has ended, but your exploration doesn't have to. Head over to www.dataguruspodcast.com and access all the resources and links mentioned in today's show. You'll also find bonus content available to our podcast listeners exclusively. exclusively. That's www.dataguruspodcast.com. Until next time, be bold, be brave, and be fearless.